Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey there, White Sox fans. The season is almost upon us. I'm here with Super Joe Rhesus. We are talking about predictions, what we anticipate this 2021 season playing out as. And accompanying this or coming up about the same time as this predictions podcast are going to be a couple articles. One, Joe, who did a fantastic job sort of envisioning how the entire season is going to play out, even doing his sort of like 2020 season fan fiction about how actually the playoffs are going to play out. It's a great piece. Check that out. And then everybody else, the rest of us slackers who didn't want to write a lot, uh, we pretty much just filled out our grid of like who's going to win divisions and who the best Sox player. We were we're going to get into that. You can look at that article as well. Uh, We've got a lot of participation from the staff, uh, a lot of varying opinions in some categories, in some others. No, they're pretty much united. Uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, but first, Joe, welcome. Thanks for joining me again on our Southside Sox podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm very much looking forward to the season, and I'm happy to discuss how I think it'll play out. Yes, and depending on the order that you're listening, watching, reading this article, you may already be familiar, dear listeners, uh, with how things have uh, played out with the Southside Sox staff predictions. But let's just say generally, very bullish staff, extremely bullish on this team. Uh, we'll dig into that a little bit. But uh, Joe, tell me how you arrived at your win total for the White Sox and uh, generally, I guess, your level of optimism entering the season. So my main method, methodology, methodology for finding how many wins I thought they would receive would 
was basically going through each player who I figured would get a substantial amount of playing time this season, kind of ballparking roughly their key statistics for the season. And from there, arriving at a general wins above replacement total that I would expect for the player. And from that, I added up everyone's estimated war for the season among players with a significant amount of playing time. And I just added that to that 48 to the default 48 uh, as a team with zero wins above replacement would be estimated to get about 48 wins in the regular season. Mm -hmm. So I arrived at roughly 39 war for the White Sox, which put me at my 87 and 80, uh, 87 and 75 stats or uh, record for, for the season. And I believe that would be just enough to squeak into the playoffs as, as a wild card team, as it's a very top heavy league, but I don't think that there's that much I don't think that it's as competitive as a as a league compared to the NL. So I think that 87 uh, will barely be enough to get them in. See, this is why Super Joseph is a kick-ass data analyst because he goes into all this stuff and says, all right, I'm going to measure the war and, and I'm, you know, listen, I did not off as you're saying all that, but you know, the rest of us were, you know, I threw darts for God, for God's sake. And I, probably when you see my predictions, you'll agree because of the shocking part in among, I believe at least at date, we may still get some late entries, but I believe we have 15 people predicting the White Sox season and somehow 14 have picked the White with varying win totals have picked the White Sox to make the playoffs. One person hasn't, he'll go unnamed. But that person who might be speaking right now didn't pick the White Sox for the least amount of wins. I believe good friend Tommy Barbie picked the White Sox to win the division at 86 victories, which is, that's bold. That's a, that's a, I mean, I know the centrals are craptastic, but to that degree, that's bold. Um, and I'm right there with you, Joe. I see this team being a high 80s wins. Obviously, uh, with with a lot of uh, variance there, they could easily be well into the 90s, uh, and a number of teams could. The White Sox probably have maybe not as much range as uh, we anticipated them having, say, going into 2020, where it could be, man, I don't know, 95 wins or 75 wins. But there's still a lot of uh, variance in this team, and I just happen to think, even though I think I picked them for one more win than you, I just see the Central and the AL uh, maybe along with what you're saying, the top heaviness just sort of not working quite out for them in the way that you see them getting. I think we both picked them second place. You see them in the playoffs, yes. and I don't. So I don't know. I, I I feel I'm going to be roasted for the fact that I'm one of 15 so far not to pick the White Sox for the playoffs. But maybe I'm just saying, hey, White Sox, prove something to me. I'm still more stuck in that last week of the regular season in 2020. Everybody else seems to be in the first seven weeks of the season, which is cool. That's the way you're supposed to do it going into the season. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you see the division uh, coming together. Is this, is in your mind, just a matter of Detroit, uh, I mean, uh, Cleveland, Minnesota, and the Sox fighting it out. And where do you think Detroit and Kansas city uh, uh, play in that? Well, I think that the main competition for the White Sox would certainly be Minnesota. They're the team that I pretty strongly feel is the team to beat right now. 
in in the central. One of the major wild cards for them would be Nelson Cruz. Um, I feel like someday, certainly he has to kind of fall off the table, but it just I just kind of have to see it to believe it at this mm-hmm. point. So I'm not predicting a drop-off this year for him. And um, I feel that Jorge Polanco is kind of underrated by a lot of the by a lot of the uh, by what a lot of people are predicting. I think Jorge Polanco is kind of uh, a key player who could make them achieve, who can make them overachieve compared to expectations this season. And they have enough depth in their rotation. I I didn't like the Jay Happ signing for them, especially with the White Sox. Uh, feasting off left-handers. I mean, I, I like it in because I'm a White Sox fan, but I didn't <laughs> like it in terms of something that was beneficial to them. But I still do think that they have enough good pitchers between Berrios and Maeda, um, and they just have a very balanced lineup. I think they're that the, they're the team to beat in the Central. Cleveland, I think, is a bit behind both the Sox and the Twins. Um, they could make a surprise run, but I but I feel pretty strongly that they have lost more than they've gained since the end of last season. And it wouldn't take a miracle by any stretch of the imagination for them to win the division, but I feel pretty strongly for to have them as number three in the division this season. And and Detroit is on the way up, but they're not there yet. And Kansas city, I just don't think will be close Mm -hmm. this year. So it's pretty much a matter of uh, Minnesota uh, the White Sox and Cleveland. Um, those are the only three teams who I think really have a realistic shot in 2021, but Minnesota would be my number one for sure. I think the division's more bunched than people uh, think. Uh, I don't think Detroit and, and Kansas City can be less of a factor than they were a year ago when the White Sox mm-hmm. for once just mowed over them. It's not going to be that easy this time around. They're going to play spoiler for all three teams to some degree. Uh, I think the division's going to play down uh, I thought that last year, I thought low 90s wins was going to win. Obviously, we didn't get to see it play out that way. And as it turns out, if you just take the pace of the teams, I think the White Sox were 95 win pace. And that's playing goof, goofy stuff with game with with numbers. But that puts Minnesota and Cleveland right there, too. There is no way the Central Division has three mid to upper 90 win teams in a full season this year. So, uh, you know, I mean, I want to play up the fact that the White Sox were a 95 win team last year, but... So there were three of them that ain't happening. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I see some, I see everybody uh, among this top three. I see all of them having an upper hand at some point, and it might just be who rides it out well enough to the way the White Sox didn't last year and almost fell out of the playoffs. And technically in this year's grid, the traditional playoff grid would not, will not make the playoffs. Uh, you know, unfortunately they, um, they hit the bump at the wrong time. And, you know, maybe this year if they can orchestrate it so they, they're, you know, they don't sort of like, you know, spit the bit at the end of the season, uh, you know, we might see a lot more pleasant outcome the way apparently, again, the vast majority, 90 plus percent of Southside Sox staff members see it playing out as. Uh, let's talk about, uh, we have a number of different categories. Uh, let's talk about the best player and pitcher you see you are unique I believe at least in the grid as I see it now in being very bullish on Luis Robert uh tell me why obviously we know at worst he's going to bring value 
base running, he's going to bring value defensively. So he's never going to be probably much less than an average player. But you think he can put enough together at the plate that starts to put him into really much a cusp of an all-star player? I do. And when I was looking at this spreadsheet of our predictions, I was a little bit surprised to see that I was the only one who had him as the most valuable position player on the roster. I understand that why he wouldn't be the most popular pick for that, but I was surprised to see my pick for him being the, the only one there. And I really like how versatile he is. He provides a ton of value with his glove and really if he can just be a little bit more patient at the plate, I think that will go a long way for him. He got off to a very hot start to in the 2020 season and he went on obviously the prolonged slump, which in the short season last year really dragged down his stats to pretty much league average at the plate. But I do, I feel that that will be, that will prove to be a fluke and I really have confidence in him at the plate. I know that, yeah, it's, it was kind of a bit of a cat and mouse game in, in his case where pitchers started to adjust to his approach and it took him a little while to, adjust back to it and kind of um, adjust back to what pitchers were throwing to him to try and get him out in September. But in the last week or so of the season and into the playoff series against Oakland, uh, he started heating up again. And a lot of times it can be tough to make adjustments in some in during a rookie season. And I I just don't think that the slump that he went in like early September was representative of at all of what we'll see this season from him. I think he'll turn out to be a well above league average hitter. And given his defensive ability, I just think that he has a huge upside and he'll be a lot closer to reaching it this year compared to last year. It's it's such a relief, Joe, to be talking about a guy rare in baseball much less with the white Sox, and maybe the only guy on this roster whose whose basement can only be so low even a guy who i think was the majority uh pick here including mine yohan Mankata, even he if everything goes wrong he's he's probably not going to give you that he he has a potential of being weaker than an average major league starter i'm not sure that luis robert he might be the only guy on this roster whose whose basement just because of the defense assuming that can't possibly crash and base running is probably going to give him a basement of just being at least an, an average starter. So certainly you're, you're making a smart play in that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ceiling there for him. Whereas pretty much every other guy on the roster, I think has a bottom that's like, man, you don't want to look. So one area we agree in term is in terms of uh, best pitcher. This is certainly not a, a, a rare pick. Oh, yeah. We had a couple of people uh, a cut against the Giolito grain, but it seems really clear that uh, he's going into the season as a killer ace, not to play too much into the spring, but he's just been uh, nails this, this whole Cactus League slate. He looks like he's ready to maybe put together six months of pitching that can really keep him uh, – all six months in a Cy Young uh, discussion and uh, a top three finish for him as a Cy Young. I think I picked him as Cy. I'm not sure if you did, but 
Uh, it seems like he's ready to take, even though there's not a lot of room for him to step forward, it seems like he's ready to even take that step a little bit further and man a staff as an ace for a team that really is almost expected. If you, if you hear people talk, if you talk to the Southside Sox staff and a lot of other people around baseball, is it's maybe their pennant to lose. So uh, you see sort of the same thing where he's, he's going to just give us that little bit more to make him, you know, really maybe the best starter in the game. Yes, I had him as number three in terms of AL Cy Young voting. So not quite the Cy Young, but he's close as far as I'm concerned. I had him clearing the five war mark, the only White Sox player I had Mm -hmm. doing so. And I just really love Giolito's data-driven approach to pitching. He really knows, um, you know, against righties, you know, how, what's the best way to get this this player out you know what kinds of pitches should I be throwing what and um, where does the data say that you know the I should be throwing the pitch and like in terms he just is very well educated as far as where like what when to throw which types of pitches and where to throw them and that is something that I very much admire in terms of his his skill set and it really has just been a joy to watch him these past couple of seasons. And as, yeah, it, it there were a couple of dissenting opinions, you know, having Lance Lynn as the pitcher MVP, but yeah, I, I, I like to have bold predictions now and again, but this was just not one that I could do. This was a very easy decision. Ah, Lance Lynn. All right. Okay. I, you know, there, there are a couple guys we might have to talk to after class. It's very clear. There's a couple <laughs> voters. Uh, I think we agree the rest of the way here. I don't even know if it's worth discussing that Garrett Crochet is the strongest rookie on this team. I know there was a lot of support for Andrew Vaughn. That to me seems like nonsense. And I don't think either one are going to have a, a bad rookie year. Let's not forget Michael Kopak is still technically a rookie as well. But Crochet, I, I, I can't fathom him not bringing, even in some weird hybrid role where maybe he doesn't even get closer. I don't know what his innings limit is. I think we've been assuming it's 100. Even if it doesn't get close to that, in 75 innings, in 50 innings, the guy put together pretty significant value in 10 days last year. And I don't see anything about him that's going to fall off. So we can move quickly on from crochet. Uh, you're welcome to weigh in, but let's also uh, uh, give me your thoughts as well. Crochet, best rookie, Billy Hamilton is the worst player on the team. And that I think maybe got the most uh, variance in, in votes. Um I don't know if that's worrisome or that's the, uh, the, uh, that's the privilege of having a very strong roster. And uh, worst pitcher, I think we both agreed, even though he is not breaking camp of the team, somehow Ronaldo Lopez will sneak his way into this roster for even a brief period of time and be the worst pitcher on the White Sox. I think we're both confident in that. But uh, uh, thoughts on those three categories, Joe? Yes, I think that Crochet, even though, like you said, he probably will not get a ton of playing time compared to some of the other rookies on the team, like for example, I'd imagine Kopech will get more innings and Andrew Vaughn and Nick Madrigal yeah. are projected to be starters. So they'll have more playing time to accumulate war, but I still see Crochet as probably getting more <laughs> wins above replacement compared to the other ones. I mean, he, as you said, he is just a strikeout machine, or at least he has been in the little that we've seen of him. And and for him to accumulate the amount of value that he did last year in that short of a period of time is remarkable. And um, yeah, th- there's no indication that 
that it was just simply a fluke or that's, you know, players were hitting it hard, but right at the fielders, like that wasn't happening. Uh, he, he was just very dominant. And I'll, I'm curious to see what hitters will do to kind of adjust to that. But he seems there are just certain at bats where he just looks completely unhittable. He's, and, and, and he's not just easy. He, he does have other pitches. They're going to keep people on their toes. You know, really when there's a guy on the team, who can throw more than half of his pitches over hundred miles an hour or whatever the equivalent exit velocity is a hitter. I don't know if that's 600, whatever it is. When we got a hitter like that, when he's making contact, you know, Luis Roberts, most Titanic blasts every time out, then I'll pick somebody other than crochet. But right now I think I'm going to give it to the guy who, Oh, I don't know, threw like 54% of his pitches last year. Right. More than hundred miles an hour for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Hamilton, you're not excited about him. I'm not Primarily because he just isn't a very good hitter. And a lot of his value in the past has come from his ability to field in center field, which is a much more valuable position in than the corner outfield spots. And it's much easier to find players who are capable of playing uh, in left and right compared to center. And with Luis Robert pretty much having center field uh, to himself, Hamilton's time there will certainly be very limited. And for a player with whose game was very reliant on his speed throughout the earlier portion of his career, he's likely a little bit past his prime at this point, I would say. And he's still got well above average major league speed, I'm sure, but it isn't quite as dominant of a force as it was a few years ago. And um, he he will have some playing time with good reason with this team, uh, just for depth reasons, of course, um, with the potential for injuries. There is a spot for him on this roster, but overall I'm not very excited about him. Yeah, and he's a tricky pick. Um, and I think like with Ronaldo, we're not, this isn't, you know, this isn't 2018. This isn't 2019 where you might have a guy who's off. I mean, Lord knows we gave James Shields 400 plus uh, innings as a starter during, I guess, I guess it was at some point in this rebuild, right? Yes. Uh, so we're not, uh, that's not going to happen. So I think you're going to have a lot more of a hit and run as a worse guy. Billy Hamilton going to have a terrible couple or just underperforming couple weeks, be negative war get released and he still could end up qualifying as the worst player. I don't see a guy like, uh, I don't see anybody who's going to be contributing significantly to this team continuously underperforming with war. I mean, there's not going to be an Edwin, even Edwin Encarnacion in a full season, even under Ricky Renneria was not going to get 500, 600 plate appearances, even though it sure seemed like it might. And I think Ronaldo Lopez is the same situation. You, you're probably seeing him similar to me where, you know, he's going to get a spot start. He might get a little time up and, and maybe what he does with it is not so good. He ends up, you know, he ends up on the negative end and everybody else is pretty much even or positive and that's going to qualify him as the worst pitcher. Right. Yes. I, the bullpen is just super solid in, from, in my opinion. And I couldn't really think of any reliever who will get any kind of sufficient or significant playing time who I would imagine would be in the negative category. I think all the starters will also clear the thresholds. Right. But Lopez 
or at least I should say, I should specify all the starters who will begin the season as right. in the rotation will qualify. But uh, yeah, Lopez, I'm not confident will get there. Maybe Ethan Katz will be able to work some magic, but I wouldn't bank on it. So that's, I, that's kind of my rationale behind him being the least valuable pitcher. You know, Joe, I never thought of myself as so much of an iconoclast, but when I do these podcasts, it, boy, it really seems like a lot of my takes are an outlier. And hopefully I uh, present those takes in a gregarious and um, engaging fashion. But not only was I the outlier when it comes to picking the White Sox to actually fall short, just short of the playoffs, but Probably the weirdest category I decided to throw out there for our little poll is whether Tony La Russa will return to manage next year. And it doesn't seem like that crazy a stretch that something is going to happen. They win the World Series and he retires. He has more off-field incidents. He determines that he just can't take it. He can't take the winning. He can't take the losing. He can't take the media. Uh, but yet it appears at least until somebody else edits no one else thinks that Tony La Russa will not be back in 2022. And I understand this might be wishful thinking. I got nothing against Tony. You know, I got nothing against Tony. I just think there's a decent chance. Okay, maybe it's not more than 50%. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit mischievous here, but it's not a zero chance. Yes, it's not a zero chance. I do have a question for one of the things you just said you said if maybe if there are more incidents that he won't be back I, I don't think just judging from how things played out in the past offseason with the timing of the hire and the information that was revealed right around that time I it would have to be one heck of an incident in my opinion for for him not to be around and it's not and he doesn't it won't be deserved if he has certainly another another similar kind of thing. I mean, he wouldn't deserve a job, but would I, would I put it past it? Like, would I put it past Jerry for him to keep him around? I, I yeah. wouldn't. There's, there's certainly a way to rationalize it away. And perhaps I'm being uh, intentionally, um, I don't know, uh, innocent here and taking the White Sox at their word because in that revelatory piece for once by Bob Nightingale, where it was revealed that, Nobody knew about this incident, but Jerry Reinsdorf, which was buried nicely tucked away in that story, but seemed to be definitely the lead. Uh, it was also mentioned that it was clear to La Russa that, um, or they made it clear to him that if there was anything else, and I, that could be anything, it doesn't have to be that he decides to have a few too many scotches, uh, that, you know, there was going to be pretty much zero tolerance. Now, I get it. There's a way to spin worse stuff than what he did to say, oh, hey, listen, you know, he's... He's never murdered anybody before. Come on. But uh, I'm going to listen. I'm going to take him at the word because I think there's a lot of egg on face. And I understand Jerry doesn't care. But at some point, something's got to give. So anyway, this is sort of a, it's sort of a silly column. And apparently, nobody wanted to back me on it. So, okay, listen. Again, I'm not wanting it to happen. But I just, I think it's a lot bigger question mark than I guess everybody else does. And it's clearly not 100% lock. Uh, but you're right in saying, Joe, that the White Sox will find a way to spin it and keep him around. And pretty much Tony leaves when he wants to leave. And so we could get 15 years of Tony LaRusso. Who the heck knows? <laughs> Ooh. That would be something. Now, on that note, why don't we take a little break? We're going to talk a little bit more broadly about Major League in general. Because, again, Joe, you sort of played out your playoffs in your piece. 
and everybody else decided to take a stab at division picks and MVPs and such. We can dig into that a little bit, uh, not as Sox specific, although there are some White Sox award winners in our predictions. Uh, we will get to that in just a second. We got one commercial break for those on the podcast. If you're watching us, just close your eyes very briefly and we'll be right back. Hey, White Sox fans, it's Brett Balantini here. Southside Sox podcast number 31. We're on the cusp of the season. And as we should on the cusp of the season, we should be looking at what the season's going to play out uh, as. And gosh, seems like a dozen plus of us on staff have made our predictions. Joe Rhesus is joining me here for this podcast. Actually took the time to really write out a pretty uh, fun, entertaining, and, and probably fairly accurate. I'm going to give him enough credit that this was well thought of to know that some of this stuff is actually going to happen. Uh, look at not just the White Sox season, but the uh, major league season in general. So let's just start uh, as we broaden this to the major leagues. Um, the strongest teams in both leagues in your mind, and is it close? Yeah, I said for the National League, I went just with the chalk pick. I went with the Dodgers. And in the AL, I did the same thing, I believe. At least I think the Yankees are the, the the normal pick, I suppose. And I do believe it is closer than a lot of people will think. For example, I do think the Padres will make it the NL West race interesting. The Dodgers won't have a huge breakaway over them. I think that I really admire the Padres' ability to really go all in this offseason and really build their roster in a variety of areas, even beyond what was necessary, so that in case they have bad injury luck, that they'll ha- they won't have a huge drop-off when they have to tap into their depth. So much credit to the Padres this offseason. And I think that they'll have to play in the wild card game simply because they're in the same division as the Dodgers. But I give them a lot of credit for the moves that they made this offseason. For the AL, I think it's uh, not as close. I do feel pretty strongly about the Yankees being the number one team there. This will be a kind of an unpopular opinion. Uh, but Give me I, off the hook. Give an unpopular opinion. Get me off the hook, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have twins. the Twins as being the number two team in the AL by record, and I have the Astros as number three, so... Not yeah, you're really going in hard with the villain. You're leaning in hard to the villains, Joe. Very much. All right, yeah. direct the hate mail. Oh, sorry, Joe. Hate throwing you under the bus. Direct the hate mail to Joe. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Twins are the second best team in the American League. Get out of here. Well, it's interesting to look at these lists, and this is probably a product of us being way more interested in and familiar with the American League. But the diversity and answers for both best team and worst team in the AL are all over the place. It may speak to the weakness of the league compared to the NL as well. Uh, whereas with the NL, it's like a couple teams in, in either category, it's sort of more clear cut. And that's probably a product of us not caring as much about the National League. So let me spin it this way for you. Uh, we care about the Central, right? We're playing NL Central teams this year again. Uh, we care about the Centrals. They seem fairly clearly to be the worst divisions in baseball. So tell me this, Joe, even if that isn't true, but tell me, which Central's worse? The NL Central is worse. I, yeah, I, 
I was when I was They're working terrible. on this piece, I was looking at the NL Central <laughs> rosters, and I went into it with kind of the belief that okay, this division is pretty weak. So maybe there was a little bit of confirmation bias at play here. But when I was looking kind of through the depth charts and kind of making my judgments on how many wins each team will have in that division, I, it was even weaker than I imagined as far as like, I, you know, really like there's no breakaway winner here and the Cardinals who I think will win the division they're they're just not that good. Uh, <laughs> um, like, maybe they can surprise me, but, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think 86 will be enough to win that division. And, yeah, that's I, – I would not say the same about the AL Central. Yeah, I mean, I know everybody hates projections and they get all upset about them and we should never even talk about them or look at them or pretend they exist. But I recall that Pakoda had – I think they had at least when I first, when they first came out, I think Milwaukee was a division winner, but the win total was really low. It was like an 85, 86 win total. I think, I mean, I, it seems uniformly some sort of truism where the AL central is going to have a team breaking 90 wins. I think that's, I think that's a safe given and it, it could be up to three. Still don't think they're going to go deep 90 wins. I don't know if there's a NL central team capable of that and i don't think there are multiple teams capable of that so maybe yeah maybe a cardinals or a brewers or a cubs r- somehow run away with it uh run away with it in that division but uh man that's a bad division i mean i'm in complete agreement with you and that division might need to really based on these last couple three years of performance major League Baseball might need to look into relegation of just the division Mm-hmm. We trade them out for some, you know, one of those weird spinoff international league. Oh, they don't call it that anymore, right? It's just AAA now. Oh, yes. Uh, right. So the North, AAA North could maybe replace the NL Central because they're awful. And that's good news for us because we're going to hopefully get to feast again. I think it's going to be easier to feast on NL Central than it is going to be on even the Tigers and the Royals. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm looking forward to facing the Pirates very much. A lot of good memories last year against them. And uh, hopefully more to come. Yeah, you're gonna have all, you're gonna have the rotation like okay, they're, they're already counting out where where their starts gonna land. Okay, am I gonna get my no no chance? Okay, all right, hold <laughs> on. And G Lito's like, wait, I get first dibs, so you know, <laughs> let's let's arrange this. Um, let's see. Oh, well, no love for the Rays. I don't know what's up with that, but uh, that's all right. Okay, you just gotta prove it every year. That's fine. It's fine when the Rays are the best team in the American League. I'll accept some of your apologies out there, Southside Sox. And when they don't, which is likely going to happen, I'll just pretend this article doesn't exist. Maybe I'll even make it disappear. But um, what other stuff jumps out of it? Was there, as you're digging into this, because again, in your piece, you've given us uh, full uh, division records. Uh, you played out the playoffs. Is there something as you were going in? Did you go in thinking the team was going to be stronger than they appeared uh, as the playoff matchups uh, came together? You know, were there upsets or, or were you tempted to, you know, have a Cinderella team? I wouldn't count this as a Cinderella team, but so many people just kind of have the Dodgers as like a sure thing that maybe they could be considered this. I have the Padres upset winning the wild card game and then upsetting the Dodgers in the NLDS mm-hmm. and have them going all the way. In fact, um, they, 
Yeah, I already pl- praised them earlier, so I don't have to praise them again. <laughs> but um, yes, hooray for the Padres, I guess. Um, I I guess, yeah, this is an unpopular opinion again. The Twins playoff losing streak will finally end. It would be cool if it didn't. <laughs> I, I would happily be wrong about that one. <laughs> it has to end at some point, right? Like it's got, it's got to come on. <laughs> um, I guess it doesn't matter if they, if they finish in first and the Sox in second, if Sox squeak in the playoffs and still manage to say if they upset the twins or, or they, they last longer than the twins, well, what does the regular season matter? So I'm all for this streak continuing. I want them to, I want them to push that streak so far that no one can ever catch it. I know the Blackhawks are on that list of like the worst droughts of all time. I think the Blackhawks are maybe third or fourth across all sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm glad the twins have put them in the rearview mirror and yeah, let's, I, 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 okay. I'm going to predict, even though I say they're going to win the division. Yeah. They're going to get swept. They keep, they keep it going. I'm not putting them in the world series so I can say they're going to get swept when they get knocked out. So yeah, dump them again. All right. Um, Two uh, of the awards races seem to be as uh, um, givens. So I'm going to ask you which you think is more of a given. Is it Mike Trout winning AL MVP or Cabrian Hayes winning the uh, National League Rookie of the Year? Because we both picked both of those guys ourselves. So what do you think is more of a lock? I would have to go with Trout. He is just such a proven talent. I have a lot of difficulty putting all of my eggs into a rookie's basket compared to Trout's. It's, I really like how Hayes has improved and I do think he'll have a really solid season coming up and he'll be a, one of the rare bright spots for Pittsburgh. Uh, But it's, with when Mike Trout is on, as long as he's in his prime, it's it's very tough to pick against him, and it's pretty much no rookie, no matter how talented, will will. I, I'll very rarely feel more confident picking any rookie of the year over uh, with more confidence than a Mike Trout MVP. I know you have a lot of awareness of and interest in it and probably rooting interest in uh, Japanese players coming over uh, to the majors. Uh, we have support uh, for Shohei Otani as an MVP. Um, what do you think his season is going to play out as? Uh, it seems like there's a lot of moving parts and it seems like it's going to be tough for this guy to sustain a full strong season the way they have set him up playing. Uh, what are your thoughts? You think he's going to have a nice bounce back year that's uh, going to put the Angels more in the mix than they normally are? I do think he'll have a strong season. I got to be honest, when when making this prediction, his name didn't really come to mind as far as an MVP candidate is concerned. Uh, it would be very cool to see, absolutely. Uh, I do think that he'll... He'll put up a really nice season um, from an offensive perspective. Um, but, and yeah, yeah, he'll be one of the better players for the Angels. But um, I don't think he'll make like the monster impact. And uh, yeah, would be, would love to be proven wrong here. But uh, I don't see him as an MVP player. I That's redundant. But um, <laughs> uh 
I see him as above average, but not an MVP candidate. I don't think he'll be in that conversation. Right. They're asking him to do a lot, and that is a that is a big burden. And unfortunately, the way the Angels are constructed still currently, I mean, you sort of got to go in with – I mean, heck, if Trout could pitch, they they throw him because they need everything they can. They seem to always be on the outside looking in and probably at best um, – I mean, in most cases, I think third place team in the AL West. I know uh, some folks haven't making the playoffs or being darn close, but uh, okay. Let's end this on a White Sox note. And besides uh, Crochet, who we're picking as our best rookie and Giolito, who's sort of a given, so that's boring. Uh, Luis Robert, you know, I know is an outlier for you, but I mean, everybody has hopes that he's going to do really well. Who's a guy on the roster you think is going to be a pleasant surprise for us this year? Hmm. Pleasant surprise. Um, I like, you know, I'm going to go with Dylan Cease on this one. It, a, a lot of people have their reservations from how he performed last year and how his ERA ver- was very misleading. Like everyone pretty much understands this. Um, like he, his ERA would lead people to believe that he pitched way better than he actually did. Mm-hmm. He deserved to be, to have a much higher ERA th- uh, than what he actually had. So, and I, so I can, com- com- can completely understand the reservations there. Um, but, you know, I'm going to go with my bold prediction as cease being the biggest beneficiary of the Ethan Katz era. And, I think he will have a – he'll go from being, like, probably – yeah, he was sub-replacement level, at least if you're going by a FIP-based uh, calculator. <laughs> um, yeah, he was – he really struggled last year. Um, um, like, his strikeout-to-walk ratio was very poor. Um, gave up a lot of homers as well. So, wasn't pretty. I think – all three of his metrics, like strikeouts, strikeout rate, walk rate, and home run rate, I think they'll all increase this year, and it'll be significant to where um, he'll to where by the end of the season we'll have confidence in him as a number four starter, possibly even number three. Okay, Joe, bold pick, picking the guy to surprise who just threw eleven strikeouts and no walks in his final Cactus League appearance. Okay bold all right but hey listen i didn't mean to ask you about this so i'm glad that you you brought these up uh in your uh you know your war estimates you have rodon as being pretty low as a fifth starter cease relatively high i think you had him at two war uh is the rodon prediction more a uh well uh have 20 starts before i'm going to give you too much wars in a matter of just listen the guy has been too fragile to really count too much on or do you think his performance actually is not going to be consistent with what we've seen in Arizona I just have a lot of questions as far as his health is concerned it's been a challenge to have him both be very effective and very healthy at the same time I recall in 2018 he had a pretty decent stretch during the first half of the season um, and right around the time, right around the all-star break that he was very, he, he went on a hot streak and that was probably the peak of his career, at least up until this point. Uh, but again, just staying on the field was just a challenge for him. 
And so he's, so since then, he's pretty much either been kind of mediocre as far as his performance is concerned and, or the health just hasn't been there. So it's just been difficult to rely on him. And it's a lot more difficult as a result for me to count on him to have a bounce back season. The more interesting stuff that all of you listeners are probably paying attention to are the White Sox predictions. They are all online in a story that you can take a look at if you haven't already. We've got variants from 98 wins from Rob Coletti, who's just absolutely gone bonkers with that prediction. God bless him and his confidence. All the way down to just 86 wins from Tommy Barbie, but he mitigates that by still having that be, I think Tommy thinks the White Sox are playing in the NL Central because with just 86 wins, they're still winning the division. So even some of the more dour predictions, like even yours, Joe, I mean, technically you might be second lowest here, yeah. 87 <laughs> wins, but you're still giving them the playoffs. So even the most dour takes on the White Sox still have a, a, a nice, a pleasant uh, ending to the uh, season because they're making the playoffs. Just one person sees them falling short of the playoffs. And no, I am not going to go back and edit that. Prove it to me, White Sox, okay? I'm not going to go cuckoo like Coletti. I do not know where 98 wins. But boy, him and James Fox. James Fox, I believe, said, and this might be published in the piece, I'm not sure. I think he said that the Twins and the White Sox might be the two best teams in the American League. And that would be awesome. I'm going to just sit back and wait for that to happen, but that would be awesome. What a race it would be. It would be a really, really fun summer for that kind of dogfight. Not who backs into the division win, but who actually goes out there and takes it like a 10 of 11 to end the season. That would be pretty cool. And I think that's what James is, is sort of sniffing at. So I'm all for it. I'm just, I guess I'm just, you know, I'm a little older than most of you guys. So I, I will not roast you for not having them in the playoffs. I nearly didn't have them in there. So uh, it's totally understandable. And your, I guess, secret is safe with me. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah, this is last weekend of the season stuff. I mean, I don't think uh, most of us see this getting wrapped up, whether it's a division title for the White Sox, for those who, who pick them that way, or even making the playoffs. I don't know. This is not going to be wrapped up early September. Pretty doubtful because even if the team's doing really well, chances are there's going to be somebody chasing them. You know, I mean, okay, so maybe they're projected a 96 at the early September and, and Minnesota's 92. I don't think there's going to be any easy breathing for 162 games uh, this season. That's going to make it a lot of fun to cover and watch. And, you know, hey, everybody out there listening, reading, keep doing it because we got you for 162 games starting on Thursday. We got a ton of, of content ramping up to that including all these prediction articles, but we're going to have, uh, we got the alternate site stuff coming right after opening day. We're going to have a couple podcasts on opening day, pregame, postgame, usual traditional live game thread, uh, even though the game's late. So hopefully many of you will be able to hang out late enough to stay up for that and end the game early in the morning. Uh, we'll see how many of us are still standing when that's done. Hopefully it'll be something to celebrate. So it'll be easier to be standing. Uh, but a lot of stuff coming here the second half of the week, uh, including an extremely a lot of optimism about the season, as evidenced in what we're talking about here. Joe, so thanks for doing such a great detailed job with your predictions and for everybody else on staff for sort of throwing in uh, and doing a pretty massive participation in how we think this, the season's going to play out for the majors and in, in, in general and more specifically the White Sox. Uh, 
So thanks, Joe, for uh, for hopping on. We'll be uh, talking again soon. And I don't, I don't know, maybe 10, 20, 30 games in, we'll we'll reconvene and 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 see if my more wins but no playoffs is looking fresher or your modest wins make the playoffs is more fresh. I don't know. Yes, it was my pleasure. And thank you for having me on. It was great to discuss. And I look forward to seeing how it all plays out. And uh, as an Eastern, as a fellow Eastern Standard Time White Sox fan, I'm prepared to stay up all night on on Thursday. (laughs) It is going to be a blearied eyed Friday, but so be it. It's what we got to do. Uh, Opening day, Thursday, we've got a lot more stuff coming at you before then, including a ton of stuff on Thursday, but the podcast will keep coming rapid fire. And that goes for the writing as well. So keep on reading, keep on watching, keep on listening. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for sticking with me and Joe through this podcast. And please, in the comments, throw down your predictions. Somebody tell me I'm right. Or somebody tell Joe he's right. Come on. Either way, it works. All right. Thanks for listening.